Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Morning. This morning we're going to be continuing our Now series, looking at the book of Colossians. The Colossians, which was written by Paul to a young church in Colossae. Before we look at this passage, why don't we pray together? Lord, thank you that the word is inspired by God. And Lord, thank you that there's so much that we can learn from your word, so much we can learn from these letters. And Lord, I just pray through your spirit that you speak to each one of us here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So just a little bit of a reminder about this letter that we are looking at together. It's written by Paul, who is in prison as he writes this letter. And he's writing to a young church who are doing really well, but they're facing a lot of pressures from those in their community. And it's a letter to encourage them and to give them confidence as they respond to these pressures, these pressures that they are under. And last week, Simon was looking at how these pressures are being put on these new believers and how these new believers were being under pressure to submit to the Jewish traditions, the traditions that those in their community who were following God had always been doing. And Paul says to the Colossians we heard last week, Paul says, don't let anyone tell you what you must or must not do in order to follow God. Don't let anyone tell you what you must do or you must not do in order to follow God. He says that these religious activities that you're being told you have to do, they only give the appearance of wisdom, but in reality, they have very little value. And Simon mentioned that in today's passage, in the passage that we're going to look at together this morning, that Paul gives a radical alternative to the church in Colossae. There's a radical alternative that Paul gives rather than focusing on these religious activities that they were being told they had to do in order to follow God. Paul gives a radical alternative. So let's dive straight into the text, Colossians 3, and we'll be looking at verses 1 to 14 together. And I'm going to start just by looking together at verses 1 to 4. So it's Colossians 3, 1 to 14 that we're going to be looking at this morning. First four verses say this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died And your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear also with him in glory. Whenever we read any letter in the Bible, whenever we read anything in the Bible that's written as a letter to a church, a lot of these 
New Testament books are, written by Paul to a church, we need to be reminding ourselves of a few things. And one of the things we need to remind ourselves is that having verses and chapters in the Bible is a relatively new thing. Verses and chapters were put in the Bible about 500 years ago in order that we could find our place as we go through the Bible, in order that we could say to each other, well, turn to Colossians 3, and we could do that. But actually, as this is written by Paul, it was one flowing letter. It wasn't split into different chapters or verses, but it was one flowing letter where he was trying to encourage the church. And in fact, as we see with this passage, it starts with the words, since then. So it's clearly a continuation of what has gone before. It's clearly a continuation of what Paul was already trying to say in this letter. So in the context of chapters one and two, or what came before this, it's clear for us to know what Paul is talking about. What he's saying is since Christ is in you, since you were spiritually dead and now you're spiritually alive, since you're free from these spiritual rules that you're being told you must partake in, since then, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And I'm not going to be going through every single line this morning, dissecting every word of of this chapter, partly because we don't have time to go through each word, each verse of this 14 verses, but also because to dissect each word, to spend time looking at the meaning, uh, the original meaning of each word, it wouldn't actually be doing justice to what Paul was trying to do. Paul's trying to get across a message. He didn't write with the intention that each word would be scrutinised in the way that we often do today. So I'm not going to go through every single line and exegete, look through each passage, uh, each line, each word. But in this line, set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God it's really important that we know exactly what Paul is talking about here because this line is the essence of his book, his letter. This line is what the letter is all about. And what Paul doesn't mean by this, what Paul doesn't mean when he says set your hearts, set your minds on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, what he doesn't mean is Set your hearts and minds on a future time where one day you will be with God in heaven. You'll be able to hang out with Jesus on the clouds. That's not what Paul is talking about. Instead, what Paul is talking about is he's saying, set your hearts and minds on Jesus's lordship over creation right now. What Paul is saying is set your hearts and minds on what God is doing right now, on his lordship, on Jesus's lordship over creation. Because to Paul, as you look through all his writings, it becomes clear that to Paul, the heavens are the transcendent place from which Jesus rules here today. The heavens are the place where Jesus is shining his glory into our earth today. 
And it's from there that he'll one day come to transform all things here on earth. Hence verse 4. So we need to ask the question, what is Paul saying? What is Paul saying? And why do the Colossians need to hear this? As Simon explained last week, this young church were being told, if you want to follow Jesus, you must. If you want to be a follower of God, you must. You must be circumcised. You must follow certain religious practices. You must eat this. You must not do that. If you want to be what we call today a Christian, if you want to follow God, you must also do all these other things. Otherwise, you're not really being a Christian. If you don't do these other things, you're not really being a good Christian. And how much have we heard that kind of thing in our time? How much have we heard the musts, the pluses of what it means to be a follower of God? You must also do this. If you're a Christian, you must not do that. And the problem is, the problem that Paul is highlighting in this passage is that when we set our minds on the things we must do, or when we set our minds on the things we must not do in order to be a Christian, or the things that we cannot do if we want to follow God, when we, as Simon said last week, when we put those things that make us feel like a bad Christian into a cage, an imposter into a cage, our focus turns to the wrong thing. And we miss the point completely. When we try to cage in the things that make us feel like a bad Christian or an imposter, we've completely missed who Jesus is. And we haven't grasped the ramifications of what Jesus has done for us. It's almost three years ago now since I came to join the team here at Riverside. And when I first came, there was something that really surprised me, something that kept on coming up in conversations, and it was coffee. So often, I was having conversations about coffee. I'd never had coffee conversations before, but it was almost every single week, people were talking about coffee. Everyone seemed coffee obsessed. But I was not a coffee fan. I did not like coffee. The taste of coffee made me feel physically sick. Three years later, every single day I'm getting a flat white from the cafe and at least another couple of instant coffees just to keep me going in the day. And the cafe team are amazing. The cafe team was so great. Every um, day around 11 a.m., they tend to bring us uh, coffees down to the office. But sometimes, if the cafe is super busy, one of us will go and collect our coffees. We'll go and collect our coffees on a tray and carry that tray down to the office. And every time I go, Every time it's my turn to go and take this tray full of coffees and bring them to the office, I get a little bit panicky because I know the cafe spend a lot of time working on these coffees. They do lovely little coffee art and everything. 
And I just know that by the time I reach the, co- uh, the office, if I'm carrying this tray full of coffee, there will be more coffee on the tray than in the coffee cups. So, in my determination, I, walk, I go get the tray and I walk down to the office with my hands as steady as possible under the tray, slowly walking with my eyes fixed on this coffee. Do not spill the coffee. Do not ruin this coffee art that they have been doing in the cafe. I'm so uh, keen not to spill this coffee that I was staring at it. Do not spill this coffee. Keep your hand steady. I was told I was doing the wrong thing. If you want to not spill the coffee, I was told, don't stare at the coffee. If you want uh, to not spill the coffee as you're carrying the tray, just look ahead and walk. Because if you stare down at that coffee, you're going to start to shake and that coffee is going to be all over the tray as it is almost every time that I try and do this. In the same way, Paul is saying to the church in Colossae, Don't fix your hearts and your minds on the things that you're doing. Don't fix your hearts and your minds on these religious practices that you're being told you must do in order to follow God. Don't fix your hearts and minds on your failures or the things that make you feel like an imposter. Don't even fix your hearts and your minds in trying to be a good Christian. Don't stare at the coffee cup in front of you, hoping that your hand will be steady enough that it doesn't spill over onto the tray. Instead, Paul says, fix your hearts and your minds on Christ. Look to him. Sometimes we can unknowingly enter into a really bad gospel theology. Sometimes we can completely misunderstand the gospel in the way that we live out faith. It's a theology that almost says Jesus died for me and was resurrected for me. Therefore, I must live a holy life for him. Sometimes we fall into this poor theology. This was Jesus's part, his part on the cross. And now it's my turn. Now it's my part. Live a holy life for him. He did this for me. And now I must do this for him. And what we end up doing is we look at the Bible and we determine what is good and what is bad. What does the Bible say is good? And what does the Bible say is bad? And then we turn a microscope on our own lives. And we say, well, I'm doing well in this area. I'm doing well here, but I'm missing the mark here. I'm not doing well here. And then we focus in on those things. These things that we feel like we're missing the mark in. We focus in on them. The things that make us feel bad in our faith. The sin, if you like. And we try super hard to cut that out. Cut those things out of our lives. Stop doing it. Behave properly. Just like me carrying this coffee cup, we stare at our sin or the things we don't like about ourselves. And we try with all of our might not to allow it to spill into our lives. But Paul is saying in this passage, 
you're staring at the wrong thing. You're staring at the wrong thing. What you're doing, staring at the coffee, what you're doing isn't as effective as you think it is. What you're doing, if you stare at that coffee cup, it's going to spill. And these religious practices that you're being told to do, he says to the Colossians, these religious practices, they won't magically stop these things from happening in your lives. They're not going to magically stop these things from spilling out into your lives. He's saying to them, and I believe he's also saying to us this morning, instead of fixing your eyes on that coffee cup, keeping your hands steady and trying not to let it spill, fixing your eyes on those things that you don't think are up to standard, fixing those eyes on the things that you don't like about yourself. Instead of doing that, he's saying, fix your eyes on Christ. So what does that look like? What does that look like and how would it really affect anything? Is it just fluffy Christian language that we use, but actually in reality it doesn't really mean anything? Or is there genuinely something in what Paul is trying to say? I mean, in its most simple form, I think what Paul is saying is quite easy for us to grasp. In its most simple form, what he's saying is we're better off focusing on Jesus than focusing on these things that make us feel like we're not good enough in our faith. And what he's saying by that is it's Jesus that brings transformation. It's not our own willpower that does it. And Paul is saying to the Colossians, don't focus on those extra things that you're being told you have to do. Don't focus on those extra things you're being told you must do, like these religious practices. Just focus on Jesus. Focus on who he is. Focus on what he has done for you. Focus on how he can bring transformation in both your life and those around you. And let him go to work. Let him work in your life. And in and of itself, I think there's something really profound in that. In and of itself, I think there's something there that we need to be constantly reminding ourselves of today. And I don't want to skip over it because I do think it's genuinely really releasing. It can take people from feeling like it's all on them, feeling like it's all on me, feeling like I need to sort this rubbish out. I need to sort out the things I don't like about myself. I need to sort out the things that I feel like I'm missing the mark in my life. I need to sort that out. I need to keep my hands steady. I need to stare at the coffee. It changes our perspective away from that to a new perspective that says, I need to fix my eyes on Jesus. I need to fix my eyes on him. I need to know him better. I need to have a stronger relationship with him. I need to fix my eyes on who he is in order that he can work in my life. 
it changes our perspective. You don't need to get hung up staring at the coffee in front of you, trying to keep your hand steady and just hoping that it won't spill. Because I don't know about you, but every time I notice something in my life that I don't like, something that I know is not very Jesus-like about me, I tend to do exactly that. I try with all my willpower to cut it out of my life. I say to myself, what are you doing? Stop doing that. Cut it out. Stop it. Behave properly. But the reality is, when I do that, it often feels like one step forward and then two steps back. But Paul was saying, if you want to flourish in your faith, if you want to follow Jesus, if you want to be a real disciple of him, don't stare at those things that make you feel like a bad Christian or an imposter of faith. Instead, focus on Jesus. Fix your eyes on Jesus. And what to me is so profound here, what is so radical about what Paul is saying is the reasoning behind why Paul is saying this. Why is Paul urging us to fix our eyes on Jesus? Well, remember, what Paul isn't saying is fix your eyes on this future time where you will be with Jesus in heaven, where you'll hang out with him. But instead, he's saying, set your minds and your hearts on the new kingdom here today that Jesus has lordship over. The reason being is this. In Jesus's life, death and resurrection, he has offered us a new humanity. In Jesus's life, death and resurrection, he has offered us a new identity in which he is lord over. And Jesus is offering it to every single one of us here this morning. He offers us a new humanity, a new identity. And when we choose to follow Jesus, our identity changes immediately. And we go through then a journey of life trying to work out what it actually looks like to live in this new humanity. What, what does it actually look like to live in our new identity? So what Paul is saying to the church in Colossae, what Paul is saying is set your hearts on Christ as you understand what it looks like to live in your new humanity. Set your hearts on Christ as you work out what your new identity looks like. Set your hearts on Christ and look to him because it is him who has set your new humanity in place. And then Paul continues in this letter. He continues with what is more of a pep talk than a criticism to the church in Colossae. He says this, Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. 
You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived. But now you must also rid yourself of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. What Paul is saying here is as you now live in your new humanity, as your eyes are now fixed on your new identity, guys, don't live in your old humanity anymore. That's what he's saying to the church in Colossians. He's not having a go at them for things that are going on, but he's saying now your eyes are fixed on your new humanity. There's no need to live in your old humanity. Next week, I'm preaching at a wedding in Bristol. And as I was reflecting, uh, writing my sermon, reflecting on marriage, thinking about my short time so far of being a married man, I was thinking, what about me has changed in the 20 months or so of being married? And there's one thing that stands out above them all. One thing that is clear, one thing that I know has definitely changed, and that is my dress sense. (laughs) What I wear since being with Emma has drastically changed. And you might be looking at my trousers thinking, really? She picked that? (laughs) In fact, my dress sense has changed so much since being with Emma, or I guess you could say Emma has changed my dress sense so much that... A couple of months ago, we realised it was time for the dreaded wardrobe clear-out. And it's a funny thing, isn't it, looking through your wardrobe? Because you come across things that used to be something you wore all the time, but you just haven't worn it for such a long time. You come across things that you haven't worn for so long, not because they're horrible, or because they're ripped, or they don't fit you anymore, or because they're out of fashion, not even because you don't like them anymore, but because they simply aren't me anymore. It's said that your clothes represent who you are. What you wear represents who you are. And these clothes that I was wearing just three or four years ago no longer felt like me. I no longer felt comfortable wearing these clothes that were my go-to just a few years prior. So I decided anything that I don't wear anymore, anything that I've not worn in the last six months, I was going to shove in a bag and keep it in the cupboard just in case one day I decided that these clothes were now me. So I grabbed my bag. This isn't me giving out all my clothes this morning. I grabbed my bag and I started to pack this bag with the clothes that I no longer wear. I packed it with coats, with jackets and jumpers, and I packed it and tried to squash it all down into this bag. It's not that I didn't find these clothes in this bag nice, or it's not that I didn't find the clothes in this bag comforting or even comfortable, but they just no longer reflected who I was. In the same way, 
When we follow God, when we follow Jesus, we have a new identity. When our eyes are fixed on Jesus, on our new humanity, the humanity that is set by Jesus and what he did for us, there are things that no longer reflect who we are. We no longer live in our old humanity, which is surrounded by selfishness, greed, insecurity, lust and impurity. But often, our response, our response to our old humanity, as Simon explained last week, is that we put these things in a cage. We put our old humanity, the things we don't like about ourselves, the things that we feel like we're missing the mark in our lives, we put it in a cage and we hope that it just doesn't get out, that it doesn't get out of the cage into our lives. Those things that we have identified as maybe the sin in our lives or or, or simply the things we don't like. Maybe it's an addiction to porn or compulsive lying or getting angry easily or whatever it is. We try to cage it in and we hope that it doesn't get out, that it doesn't escape into our lives. We stare at the coffee cup in front of us, trying to keep our hands steady enough that it doesn't spill out onto the tray, that it doesn't spill out into our lives. Because we believe that if we don't spill the coffee, then we're being a good Christian. Or just like me, shoving the clothes into this bag. Shoving the clothes into the bag with all the strength we have, trying to zip it up. I can't zip it up very easily. But we try to zip it up and get rid of it. We try with all of our strength, shove these clothes in the bag, zip it up and throw it in the cupboard so we don't even need to think about it. We try with all our strength to get rid of these things, to shove our old clothes, our old humanity into a bag. The problem is, however much I try to shove these clothes into this bag, however much I try, however much I sit on it, jump on it, kneel on it, however much I try, this bag is simply not big enough to hold the clothes. There are simply too many clothes for this bag to carry. But Paul is saying, there's a radical new way. Paul is saying there's a radical new way to deal with these things. He says, instead of fixing our eyes on this, instead of fixing our eyes on our old humanity, the things we don't like about ourselves, the things we might call sin, Fix your eyes on your new humanity. Fix your eyes on your new identity, which is found through the resurrection of Jesus. And when you do that, when you step into your new humanity, you'll realise that you no longer have to keep this bag that is overflowing with clothes. We no longer have to keep it in the cupboard just in case one day we want to wear it again. Instead, this bag and everything in it can be put to death with Jesus. Because Jesus offers us a new humanity. Jesus offers us a new identity. And when he does that, 
he's also offering us for our old humanity and our old identity to go to the grave with Jesus. Verse 9 says, you have taken off your old self with its new practices. You've taken off those clothes that are no longer you anymore. So I guess the question is, how can we actually do that? Well, Paul's saying to the Colossians, the only way you can do that is by setting your minds and your hearts on Jesus. Stop looking at the coffee cup. Stop looking at your sin, but look to Jesus and the new identity that he has offered you, that he has already given to you. Step into this humanity that is already yours. Step into the identity that is already yours. Because without a new identity, without a new humanity, when we try to shove our clothes in a bag, hoping that it won't overflow, it's like trying to weed your garden by simply pulling out the tops away from the root. It might feel good for a while. It might make you feel like your garden is clean. It might have the appearance of success, but the weeds will grow back because the roots never changed. The only way to weed a garden properly is to kill and dig up the roots. See, for a lot of us, the things in our lives that we feel like make us a bad Christian or an imposter, those things that we try to hide by shoving into a bag, quite often they're just the visible overflow of a deeper-rooted issue that Jesus wants to work with you in. And Paul is saying, look to Jesus Take a grip of your God-given identity, your new humanity that already belongs to you. Because it's only that, it's only the God-given identity that can really change your roots. Finally, as we come into land, the last section of this passage. Put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in the image of its creator. Here there are no Gentile or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's people, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has any grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Paul is saying, put on your new clothes. Once you've got rid of your old clothes, put your new clothes on. Claim your new humanity. When we put to death our old humanity our old identity, our bag that couldn't hold all the sin, God gives us a fresh and new identity. This identity has completely different roots from the old. An identity that's surrounded by compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience and love. In other words, 
a new humanity that is centred around the person of Jesus. I know it's said many times, but the word Christian literally means little Christ. And when we accept our new humanity in him, we're released as image bearers of him. We become little Christs. And I just want to flag right now that when Paul is writing this letter, he's not writing to individuals, but he's writing to a church. He's writing to a collective. And he's saying to this church, guys, step into your new humanity. Be little Christs in your area. Imagine if we as a church, both collectively and individually, chose to step into our new humanity that's offered by Jesus. We would be a church full of little Christs. And who does the world need more right now than Jesus? So how can we take hold of this identity? We take hold of it by fixing our eyes not on ourselves, on the things going on in our lives, on our um, own pain or shame or the things about ourselves that we dislike. But instead, we fix our eyes firmly on Jesus. We allow him to be the agent of change in our lives. And sometimes that's really hard because we want to have control. We want to know, we like the idea of being strong enough to change ourselves. We want to be our own agent of change. But the reality is we will never overcome our sin. We'll never overcome those things that we don't like about ourselves. We'll never overcome this fully by sheer willpower. The best you'll manage to do is shoving it in a bag and throwing it in a wardrobe. The problem is at some point you need to open that wardrobe back up. But Jesus offers a new humanity. One that puts to death the old. One that's centred on love, compassion. One that's centred on humility and kindness. Our job is to fix our eyes on Jesus claim what is already ours and allow Jesus to take our old humanity to the grave with him. Thanks for listening. If you would like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.